beneficial if you can get the CD for it because I believe that chapter 1 what begins there with the Lord revealing him, his glory to John sets the pace for the book because as I said last week the central figure is Jesus most people when they approach the book of Revelation, they're looking at the end times. They want to see something and learn something of what's going to happen at the end of the, the, the world or whatever. You know, what prophecies are there? What prophecies are going to be filled? You know, what's going on with the tribulation? What's going on with the Antichrist? But see, the Antichrist or the false prophet or any, any group is not the focus in the book of Revelation. It all is Christ because everything... That, that is done, it all moves through him. And we see Jesus in the Gospels, and we see his love, we see his healing, we see his tolerance with uh, many people, and, and with the Jews in particular. But when you come down to Revelation, you see that he is the judge. He is going to pronounce judgment. He's going to open the seals that, that usher in the wrath of God to the people. On, on this planet. And so you see Jesus in a different light. You know, people today see the, you know, the love of God. And the love, but, but then it's going to be different. And he doesn't apologize either for what he does. You know, the Lord knows what he's doing. Okay, let's begin. We're going to start in chapter 2 tonight. But in order to begin with verse 1, we're going to have to go back a couple verses, <clears throat> excuse me, do I have some chalk here? Yes, I do. Verse 19, uh, the Lord tells John, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Then remember he is pictured, whenever John hears the voice behind him, he turns to look, he sees the glorified Christ, and he sees him, amongst seven golden candlesticks, and he sees seven stars in his hand. So in verse 20, Jesus comes right out and he tells him what those were, because I'm sure when John looked at that and he saw that, he did not know what that was or what that was symbolic of. And so Jesus says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, the word angel, that's the Greek word there for the word that is translate in, translated in English uh, as angel. It is, uh, it's actually pronounced angelos. That word means messenger, and it means pastor. If you look, it might be in the Strong's, I, I believe, uh, probably is. But those are the two meanings, and the, the one meaning, pastor, is referring to specifically Revelation. And you can see that he's talking to the pastors of the church, not some angelic being, 
from heaven that is sitting there in the church. He's talking about certain things dealing with the pastors, and he even says repent, and we know even by seeing that, that he's talking not to an angel, but to a man. And in verse 4, he uses the term thee, and he uses the term thou, which are in the singular. Now, I want to show you two examples in the Bible where the word here, uh, angelos or angelos, however you want to pronounce it, is, is not used of angels, but is used of man. Most of the time, it is used of angels because they were the messengers of God. But you will see, I'll show you two examples, where it is specifically referring to and is very easily seen that it is referring not to an angel but to a man. In um, Luke, turn to Luke. I would have much rather had them translate the word messenger where it should have been translated messenger because as soon as you see the word angel, you think there's an angel at every church. That's your thinking. And that's why God's revelation to man through the Bible is limited because when you take it and you, especially in our language, where you take it and you translate it, you have to use the words that are available. And sometimes the translators didn't always pick the best words. They may have picked a word that was okay for that time period, but language always changes. Uh, Luke 7 Verse 24, and when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. Uh, this is Jesus. What went ye out into the wilderness to see? So the messengers of John in verse 20, the word messengers is the word, the same word here, Greek word that's translated angel in Revelation 2, 1. Verse 20, when the men uh, were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Thou uh, art thou he that should come, or, or look we for another. So he's talking about men here. When the men were come unto him, verse 24, and when the messengers of John were departed. So that's the, the Greek word. Now turn to Mar um, not Mark, Matthew. 11, verse 10. For this is he of whom it is, is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. Who's he talking about? Which shall prepare the way before thee. Who's he talking about? John the Baptist. So, John the Baptist was an angel, right? No, he wasn't an angel. <laughs> It is the same word, but he, he's not a, a heavenly being. He was a man. That was the point I was trying to make there. So, so it's using the same Greek word for two different applications. One it applies to a, an angelic being, and in these two instances, and in Revelation 2.1, and in the other uh, churches also, he's speaking to the messenger of the church of Ephesus. Now, who is the messenger of the church? Who's the one that brings the message of God? See, he's the messenger. So, so he's writing to the messenger 
of the church of Ephesus. Now, in, I'll just read this. In each instance, when Jesus comes to speak to each church, he's speaking through John, he has a specific thing that he says, and in a few cases, there's a little bit of an over, overlap, but you will find out that he says something in his introduction that is different in each case with each church. So that Jesus is looking at that specific church and he knows what is there and he is examining that particular church or the pastor. And then from that, he, he brings out an introduction and then the introduction to the church, what he's saying in the beginning to them, relates to, about himself, relates to what is going on with the pastor or with that particular church. For example, in verse 1, it says, He that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and walketh, in, uh, walketh among the, the, the golden candlesticks. Now, he says this, and it relates to uh, chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, you left your first love. So, if a person holds to the Spirit and, and realizes that Jesus Christ is the one who is walking amongst that candlestick, if the pastor would have realized that and had a, 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 uh, a realization in his heart, in reality, that the Lord was walking amongst his church, then he would not have left his first love. Instead, he would have held on to him. See, so how Jesus came to him in, in the introduction there relates to what was going on with the pastor and, of course, with, with the church also. Uh, now, the church of Smyrna, that's in verse 8. He, he says, I am the first and the last he that is dead and is alive. So he goes on in verse 10. You can follow this. He tells them, be thou faithful unto death. Okay. Now when he brings the introduction in verse 8, he says to them, I am he that was dead and am alive. So he went all the way in his faithfulness, coming from the throne to earth, walking upon the earth, fulfilling the will of the Father all the way. I am he that died and now am alive. See, he's showing his faithfulness, and he tells them, be thou faithful. Uh, Pergamus, verse 12. He comes to them with a sharp two-edged sword. And then you see in verses 14 and 15, he points out the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and so on. And, and what's seen there is that this sharp two-edged sword is going to come and cut them. If something doesn't change, there's going to be some slicing, some cutting. And actually his word alone, just saying that, was probably cutting. So there's a relationship there. Uh, Thyatira, verse 18, he comes and he says, uh, I am he with the eye, eyes 
as a flame of fire and feet of fine brass. So his eyes will see into the depths of what he wants to consume. And what he wanted to consume is seen in verses 20 and 22, Jezebel, who's seducing, and her, her even, even being teaching in the church. Sardis, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. He who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. See, he is the one who holds the seven stars. He's the one that holds the pastor in his hand. And the seven spirits, in order to acquire the seven, seven spirits, one must look to Christ. Verse 7, the church of Philadelphia. He that is holy and true, the key of David, and so on. So he says, he that is holy... So it take, it's going to take from that pastor or that church strength to walk in his holiness. And then Laodicea, in 3.14, he says, uh, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness, uh, and so on. And then he tells them that there's certain characteristics they're missing, and one of them is that you are not faithful or you are not hot for me. You're, you're neither hot nor cold. So there is a direct relationship between what Jesus says in his introduction coming to the churches and what he says to the pastor related to the pastor and to the church. So Jesus doesn't waste words. See, his words directly apply to the situation at hand. And, and you can relate that to today. Jesus will come and he will come to a church and he will deal with a church. He will come to the pastor. He will speak words to the pastor. He will come to you as an individual and he will speak words to you. Now, he can come in various means. He can come when you're least expecting him, you can be at work and the Lord can come to you and, and just show you something or, or say something that you catch in your spirit. Not that he speaks to you audibly on the work floor, but you catch something in here, something maybe you should have done or something you shouldn't have said, whatever it may be. Or you can sit down and you can read his word. He can speak to you through his word, which he does many times. You can listen to something preached or something taught and the spirit of God can use that. How many times have you sat somewhere and heard a message and the Lord showed you something directly related to you personally, maybe something that day or that week, something that went on that nobody knew about, but the Lord knew about it. And so he comes and he addresses you Maybe it was not in a rebuking way, but just in a way to give direction. So you see that same thing holding true with the churches in Revelation. And we know that this is true as it relates to us because he does the same thing to us. And he does this same thing, I believe, to churches. And we'll actually look at that. I don't know where it is, what church it is, but... It's very interesting. Is it? Uh, it may be. I think it's in Ephesus. We're going to cover it tonight. 
what he specifically says and how that relates to the church. So he is good. I, I'm glad that when he comes, remember, he's dealing here with a pastor. A pastor is a leader who is over people. He's watching for their souls. That's what he's supposed to be doing. So he's more strict and maybe more, if you want to use the word forceful, in what he's saying to them because it's not just them, but it's those under them who are going to be affected by the pastor. But I like the Lord because he doesn't come and criticize us. He'll come, and if maybe if we you know, say something or we're doing something and we're off a little bit in our thinking, he comes so ever so gently and he just brings something out and you say, you shake your head. That just happened. <laughs> we were just talking about that. <laughs> well, what do you, who do you think that is? You think that's a man figures all this stuff out and doesn't? No, it's the Lord. Why does he do these things? Because he is interested in you personally, he's interested in the churches here to give them direction so that they can enter into a particular place, so they can enter into life and that more abundantly, but they can enter, enter into a specific place of fulfillment. See, there is a place of fulfillment for you. Did you know that? The Lord will lead you and guide you, and as you walk with him, he is leading you toward a fulfillment in your life. Many fulfillments, but there will be some specific thing that the Lord will want to accomplish in and through your life. And so he'll work to that end. But, but he's so good, he's not pushy. He doesn't con condemn you. What does the Bible say about condemnation? There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are walking with him, you're desiring to walk with him, there is no condemnation to you if you are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation comes many times from ourselves or from other people, from the enemy of our soul, but not from the Lord. He will come. He can rebuke us. You'll see that in these, these letters or these words to these churches. He rebukes, I think, five out of, out of seven. What's five? Five is grace. So he, he deals with them very harshly. Two of the churches, there's, there's no correction and no rebuke, which is very nice. And uh, which ones are they? Smyrna and Philadelphia. The other five, no. So <clears throat> primarily... The, the Lord is speaking to whom? The pastor of the churches, primarily. Okay? All right, let's continue. Unto the church, or I shouldn't say that this way, unto the, the angel or the pastor or the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, These sing, things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not 
and has found them liars. So he says here, I have somewhat, wait, where is it? You didn't get to that yet. Okay, that's four. And has borne and has patience, verse three, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have someone somewhat against thee. Now this word here, against thee, has several meanings. If you look that word up in Strong's, you will see that word means down. So, so uh, there is something he has uh, against them. Or I don't want to say he's coming down, but he's coming down on a particular sin, some evil that is there. But the, me the meaning that I really like, and I think it's very fitting for this here, and, and it fits the Lord's character so well, is from Loanita Lexicon. It says, to press toward a goal, because... When he says, I have some, somewhat against thee, as I said earlier, it's not that he's condemning them. He is pressing toward a goal with them. He wants what he sees that is wrong there to be corrected so that the pastor can get on the right footing and begin to lead the church in, in the righteous path and in the correct way for that particular church. And so the Lord has a particular goal in mind when he comes to them. I have somewhat against it. You'll see that in, in several of these. So he comes to you, and he may say, I have somewhat against thee. Not to condemn you, but hey, let's get this thing here right so that we can, can move on here toward a particular goal. So the meaning is to press toward a goal. The Lord is pressing toward a goal with you. Do you know that? See, we come to the Lord. Or I actually, if I would have to say it, I would have to say this. The Lord died for us. The Lord paid the price. And we come to him and he receives us. It's not that we receive the Lord. Well, we do, but, but it's that he receives us. But see, he has a goal he will work toward in your life and in my life. And to accomplish the goal he's looking for, and, and I believe primarily that goal will be to be conformed to the image of Christ so that the character of the Lord is developed within us. So to accomplish that goal in you, in me, it is going to take a ministry of the Lord to you through the Holy Spirit to come and touch you and to change your thinking and to help you to let go of certain things so that you can, can move away from those things that will keep you from the, that goal that he has for your life and that he would come and, and minister to you in such a way that that which hinders you, that which will keep you from, from going in that way, that which will pull you down will be slowly taken care of because the Lord cares so much for you and he wants to move toward a goal in your life. So there are things that, that must take place and he'll use all kinds of things. He'll use your circumstances, he'll use everything and anything that he can to bring you out from yourself to walk with him 
on, on the highway of holiness. But, you know, we know that that's not always so easy. But you know, it, if you have a willing heart, I, I believe this, you can fail, you can have faults, you can fail time and time again. If you have a willing heart and you say, Lord, I want to serve you, and you miss it, the Lord comes and he, you know, he, he show, tries showing you this or he speaks and you don't hear it and you don't know the direction to go in your life. And If you are willing, just willing to walk with him and you want him in your life, he will help you to walk. Even if you don't know anything, you don't have to know anything. You have to have a desire in your heart walk with him and he can do a lot with a person who's willing who wants him and Lord knows for years I I was clueless <laughs> absolutely clueless I was probably more clueless than anybody in this room when I first came to the Lord it's like whenever I heard the gospel for the first time and uh, the individual said to me, would you like to receive Christ? I said, I got nothing against the guy. That's how clueless I was. I got nothing against him. Yeah, why not? Yeah, not going to make any difference. So I, I come into the kingdom, and it's like, oh, I had no idea what was going on. No idea. And the Lord, that's okay. It's okay. You don't expect a little baby to know what's going on. You put a little baby in the middle of the room, you think you're going to understand the teaching here? No, they're going to shake, shake their little rattle, suck on a bottle. Two-year-old's not going to understand, right? Four-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old. Oh, they're starting to understand a little bit of things, but they're not understanding a lot as far as, you know, teaching. But eventually, people grow up, don't they? Well, the Lord will come... And he will touch you in a way that will put you in the right direction so that now he has something to work with. And if you work with him and, and continue on, he just starts to teach you and you start to understand things. You won't even know how you understand things. I had this revelation, and you might laugh at this, but I, I think that most men, and I don't want to say all, but most men don't understand women or marriage. Okay, I at one point was totally clueless. I was about, I was just way, 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 way out there. Didn't understand anything. But from walking with God early on in my walk, the Lord started to teach me what a man was, and he started to teach me what a man is to be and do, and I could see certain things in Ephesians related to the man and, and what he's to do. And so seeing certain things helped me to point my heart and my life in a direction, see. You take people in the world, they have no clue sometimes what a good marriage is. They think just because you, you, know, you get along and you can do your thing and, and she does her thing, you know, I'll go hunting with the guys and I'll spend five weeks hunting and you know, she can go with the girls and that's a great marriage. Not necessarily. I would say no. 
So there is to be, as we walk with him, an enlightening. And he, he brings that. You won't even know how you know certain things. You don't even remember being taught it. But all of a sudden, it's like the light goes on. And you say, I see that. Why didn't I, why did somebody teach me that before? I think personally that before men ever, you know, get married, they should have a class for them. <laughs> I'm serious. And, and lay it all out and say, this is what you're supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to treat your wife. This is what a relationship is supposed to be like. This is how you're supposed to function. To, and say, okay, now there it is. Ask the Lord to help you and do your best. You're going to fail, but do your best. But at least you'll have an idea. Or, where, you know, before, men, sometimes men are really clueless. I'm sorry, but it's true. Okay. But anyway, he works toward a goal in your life. And to bring you to where he wants to bring you will take a special working in the ministry of the Lord to you. Now, he's dealing with the pastors here who, first of all, know better. Secondly, we know they, they have had a relationship or have a relationship. And thirdly, they have a responsibility upon them of souls, souls, people. What a person says or does can influence a person's eternal destiny. That's a heavy thing. I always, one of the reasons why I take teaching so serious, because I know that a teacher can influence people a certain way. And I want to influence people according to the gospel of Christ, you know, not some other way, some other place, some other thing. And so he's dealing with the leader of the church, specifically trying to accomplish some goal so that through that individual now, many will be saved. And I don't mean initially, initial salvation, but I mean that they will find the salvation that they need to, you know, the richness, the, the abundant life. Verse 4. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you go back and you read verses 2 and 3, he goes on, he says, uh, I see your, your works, your labor, your patience. Uh, you took a stand against uh, evil. He says, you even tried the spirits, those who were apostles, um, uh, and so on. But in verse 4, he says, nevertheless... Or in strong contrast to that, you have left your first love. So my first thought is, a pastor and a church can labor, they can do works, they can have endurance, patience, endurance, they can take a stand against evil, and all these things that are good things, and yet... Leave their first love. Wow. So a church can look like it's producing all these great things for God. And they are doing all these wonderful works. And they're enduring under a certain thing. And the Lord can come and say, nevertheless, even though that's there, and even though that's 
you know, good, that's okay. Nevertheless, I see in your heart you have left your first love. Quite an indictment, isn't it? So a lot can be done through natural zeal, you know. A lot. Can you tell the difference between a natural zeal and a zeal for the Spirit? You see, the Lord has to teach you that. Can you tell the difference between works that are of God and works that are of men? There's a difference. And it's not too apparent. Well, if you look in the world, especially like right now after what just happened, you can see a lot of works of man. And I'm not saying that that's not always evil. It's not evil. But I'm saying is that the works of man are not necessarily the works of God. So anyway, even though they had all these different things, externally things looked good. It appeared uh, that the pastor and the church were doing fine. If you would just look at that, that the, the works there, the, the endurance, the labor that they were doing, if you just looked at that and that had your attention, you would come up with the same thought, things are fine, the church is doing okay. See, that is why the pastor has to be able to see what is going on to some degree underneath what is going on with people, with people. Now, turn to Jeremiah. Oh, I don't know. Anybody have an NIV? Can I borrow it? I don't know if I have my other translation or not today. I had another. I always bring another translation. That's why I have to borrow hers there. Jeremiah 2. So when the Lord comes and he says to this pastor, he says, you have left your first love. That is an internal departure. See, things were still being accomplished in the church. They were still doing certain, certain works. They were still laboring for the Lord. But yet with him, there was an internal departure. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. But that is not as easy to see uh, as you would think. I mean, you can see it, but not everybody sees it. That's, that's why I say it's not so easy to be seen. Jeremiah 2 Verse 2, go and proclaim in the hearing of, of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through the land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who, who de devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Now, this is what I want you to hear. It says here that they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. So that in that portion of scripture, it's very, very easy to see that Israel 
made a departure from the Lord because they worshipped idols. Very, very clear to see that. That took place, and, and God said, because you departed from me and served worthless idols, you became worthless, worthless to him. But it's not as easily seen whenever someone is pushing forward, it seems, and doing works, doing works. Matthew, let me just read some of these. Matthew 24, 12, because of the increase of wickedness. Now, how does it say it in the King James? Because iniquity abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Uh, the NIV says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And I looked that word up, too. It does mean most. Many, most. Because there is an increase in iniquity. In Matthew 24, the context there is the end, the end time. And people will, will grow cold. Why will people grow cold? The increase of wickedness. So that if the wickedness keeps on increasing and increasing and increasing, that puts more and more pressure on the Christian to walk in the right way, and it says here that the love of many, and the word love is probably agape, I'm, I'm almost positive, that would mean the dedication of many will grow cold because they are so influenced by the multiplication of wickedness in the world. And, and you see a, a little glimpse of that in Revelation 3, was it 14, 15, where he says, you're, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. You're like in between. You're going from hot to cold. Your dedication is getting colder. I'm going to spit you out, he says. Another translation says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Uh, turn to Romans 12. I'll read a couple other verses here. Philippians 3.13, or is it, uh, let me see, maybe I should go there and read that. Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to, be, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and in anything, you, if you be otherwise like-minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, this is what I want you to see, nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. It says, the NIV, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Uh, in Romans... So the point I was trying to make there was that the pastor had attained something in the Lord. That's why he was the pastor of the church. And Paul here writes to, to this church of Philippians, and he says, live up to what you have already attained. In Romans 12, 11, be not slothful in business, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. 
two other translations. Never be lacking in zeal. Have you ever, ever lacked in zeal? But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That doesn't mean that you always feel enthused about doing what you should be doing. I don't always feel enthused about studying and coming to class, teaching. It's nothing to do with that. Zeal is an internal thing that the Lord puts there uh, that keeps you moving in, in you know, whatever he has in front of you to do. It says, never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit serving the Lord. So, as we're looking at in Revelation here, to the, the church of Ephesus, what is your primary dedication today? You, Christian. What is the Lord wanting you to be dedicated in today? See, when he says you have left your first love, you have left your, I want to apply this to us here now today. It's not necessarily talking about leaving the Lord and backsliding. See, it's talking about leaving your first love. See, what is it that is your, to be your primary dedication now, today. See, as the Lord had you put, he put you somewhere where you know this is what you need to do. This is something that he puts before you to do, whatever that may be. Well, that is to become your primary dedication for your life right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, so if you, let's, I'll use an example myself. So the Lord has me teaching. That is my, I don't want to say my first love. I'm not talking about my love for the Lord. I'm talking about my primary dedication in serving him now is to teach. That's what he's given me to do. Now, if I turn and decide to do something different, let's say I decide, you know, I'd rather just go on the mission field and help build Churches and homes. Well, I could go on to Mission Field and, and build homes and, and uh, churches and spend my, my time doing that. But see, if I would do that, I've gone on the Mission Field and done that, but I was there teaching and did that. Or I was there, uh, my, my, still my primary move in my heart was to teach. So if I went and do, I do something else, the Lord could come to me and say, okay, you're doing all these things. You're laboring for me. You know, you're doing works. You're enduring. But you have left your first love. You have left me in what I wanted you to do here. See, so, so that is, whatever it may be, it can be something small. There can be a, a departure from where we are to be. And I had that in here somewhere. Let's, let's look at verse 5 here for a minute. It says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, 
and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. So he says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Fallen means to descend from a higher place to a lower place. It doesn't necessarily mean backsliding. It doesn't mean that the pastor now has moved into gross immoral sin. All it means is that he has descended from a higher place or maybe a higher calling to some other lower place. Now look at, let's look at this word for a minute. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 8. Now, this is talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. Neither let us commit fornication as some of, uh, of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. So there is a, a falling. They fell from where they were to a much lower spiritual place, spiritual plane. Hebrews 3. Remember the scripture in um, 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about charity or love. It says, love never faileth. Love never falls from a higher position to a lower position. That's the same word. Never faileth. So if the love of God or the dedication of God is moving out correctly from a Christian, it, it's not going to take you to a lower place spiritually. It's going, to, it's going to take you to a higher place. In Hebrews 3, 17, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcass fell in the wilderness? So there was a falling, not just their carcass, you see. Why did their carcass fall? See, because they departed from a particular spiritual place where they were living, which wasn't a good place anyway, but they went to a lower place. And let me see here, numbers, we're not going to go there. But anyway, go back to Revelation. I'm going to show you this verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. So that he says to the pastor, remember from where? So there is a place that he fell from, not a physical place, but a spiritual place. And for the Lord to actually come and, and restore him and, and move toward a goal in his life, he is first of all going to have to agree with the Lord that he had fell from this position. He left his first love. Whatever, wherever he was spiritually, he has departed from that spot to a lower spot. So there has to be an agreement. He has to see that that's what happened. Now, this is something that is very, very odd. Maybe that's not the right word to say. But... <clears throat> I have seen this many times where individuals who are moving on a spiritual plane, a, a, a higher spiritual plane than, let's say, many, and they're there, and because of some 
decision or some desire or some direction that they go in, not consulting the Lord, not really uh, going in the way the Lord has cut out for them, they move aside, and even though they, they still serve the Lord, they move from the spiritual position that they were in, to, and they fall to a lower place. Now, the Lord does not let that go unanswered. He always brings about someone that will have a word, a direction for that individual, and will bring that to them, to show them that that is what occurs. But most of the time, those that, that fall do not see the fall. Now, sometimes it's quite apparent and the people know it. But that's if they fall in sin. But if they move in a different way that is not, quote unquote, sin, per se, but they move in another way, another direction. <clears throat> they make a decision. They decide they're going to do a certain thing. They will move from a certain place to another place. And the Lord has people that can see. And the people that can see will see that. And many there that don't know and don't see won't be able to perceive that that person has moved to a lower place. So that the first thing the individual has to do is recognize, they have to agree with the word that is coming out from an individual. And if an individual comes and brings that, most of the time they're rejected. So for this pastor to be brought back up to where they are, uh, were or should be, they are going to have to, first of all, agree with the word that is coming to them. If there is not an agreement, if they make excuses, if they say that's not really what I'm doing, if they say that's not my heart, if they say that, well, that's the, this is the direction I'm going to go, that will bring them to a place of eventual, I don't want to say total ruin, but they will be in a place where they can't progress in God, and you will see a cooling and a cooling and a cooling uh, like you see in uh, the one church of Revelation, Thyatira, I believe it is, where there is a cooling off of the individual. So there first must be an agreement. Secondly, there must be a repentance. He says to the pastor, that you have to repent. See, look at the verse. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Can you recognize that you have fallen from a particular place? Then Jesus says, repent. He must repent. It must be a true heartfelt repentance, and that must come from the heart. It's not just, well, I'm sorry. But it has to be in the heart a sorrow that they have departed in, in a certain way. Secondly. Now this is a pattern. You can write this down. This is a pattern you will see if any of you ever get into a leadership position. 
where you have to watch over people, you will start to see things. And you may see this particular pattern with some people. You may even be the one God sends to try to say something to them, to warn them. And, and you say it in a loving way, in a calm way, and they say, no, you, you came against me. Well, I didn't come against you. I came against the direction you were going. But they won't see it that way. They will see it as you're coming against them. But that's not it at all. It's, it's in order to, to keep the person from going any lower. You, you, bring the, you want to try to bring them up. That's why the Lord's coming here in this instance, not to condemn them, not to push the pastor down further, but, okay, there you are. I'm bringing my word there on that plane where you're dwelling. Okay, recognize it. Now repent. You have to do that. You have to agree with me, and you have to repent. And the next thing he says, and this is very, very interesting, he tells him to do thy first work. Now, I'll just try to illustrate this. I see it, but I don't know how to get you to see it. So here's an individual. We'll just talk about the pastor, this pastor here, because that's the context. And here they are. They're on this plane. We'll call this the spiritual plane that they're dwelling. So, okay, they've gone this far. Let's say this is... It's taken 10 years, and they've made some spiritual progress. Maybe I should do it this way. Might be better. Here's the starting point, and they're, they're on a spiritual plane, but they're moving upward. Okay, so now here's where they are. You got that? So now something occurs at this point. It can be a, a direction that they take, a decision they make personally, that now interferes with the working or the will of God for their lives personally. Now they begin to go in a different direction here. They are moving down here to a position of, of low, a lower place than where they were here. They were up here spiritually. Now they're down here spiritually. And so the Lord comes and he, he tells them, you have to agree with me, you have to repent, now, after you repent, if you repent, the next thing that needs to happen is you need to do your first work. Not from here you just continue on, but back here where the problem occurred, you need to actually come back here. Something has to take place, and then you start again. A person can see it to some degree, Agree with it, maybe. And there may be a repentance to a degree. But everybody wants to continue on from that place, and you cannot because you're not in the same spiritual place you were. You're not going to go the shortest distance to this plane you were on. I'm going to go the shortest distance. That's not happening. No, it's going to take a walk, and now the Lord... Something back here has to be dealt with. Something there that, that caused that problem has to be dealt with, and now the Lord can start to take the person right back up to a higher place again. So, so I have seen this happen. 
I don't want to say many times, it happened several times, where an individual, when you would talk to them, they would agree that they did wrong. And they went to repent, but they would not leave off and, and come back to this place to get something taken care of and start up again. They wanted it just to continue on out here, and they had reasons for that. Now, that's the best, I can, best way I can illustrate it. But it's not that you can now just continue on. He says, go. why would Jesus say, go do your first works? Why would he say such a thing? Why would he say, just, just continue on now? Okay, you repent, just continue right on. No, because something had to take place within the pastor. Something had to take place in him first for him to have the ability to ascend again to where the Lord wants to take him. And it's, it's more than just the repentance. Repentance, yes, but something else had to take place. So remember, there is a departing here. You have left your first love. There was a point of departure. Where was that? Okay, here it is. He left his first love. What was it that caused him to leave his primary dedication, his primary direction that the Lord set? What was it? I don't know. What was it that happened? What happens today with people? When they leave their primary dedication, their first love, what takes place? Well, I mean, it's, it's individual. It can be anything. It can be something stupid. It really can be. Some goofy, goofy thing that happens, and then the person, you know, here they go. They're involved with this or that, and before you know it, they're not up here anymore. They're way down here. Now, when you see them, you talk to them, they're, they're going to church. They may read their Bible, but you can perceive that they are not in the same spiritual place. I, mean, I, I don't know how to explain that to you. You have to see it. It's just, they're just not living in the same place. It has nothing to do with what they aren't doing but it has to do with where they are not spiritually. The Lord says, you know, you, you can repent. Yes, repent. But do thy first works. Go back and see what's going on. What caused that? And there's always some cause. It may not be some external thing. It may be something in here in the person. Maybe how they think, how they, they act or react to some person or situation, and that became a problem there in them, and that stayed in them, and all of a sudden, at a certain point, something comes up in some situation, and boom, sets that thing off. Now, there they go. Maybe they were, from their youth, they were moving in a certain pattern. Do you know we move in patterns? You can move in patterns all your life. When you come, become a Christian, you have to watch now. You have to you know, say, hey, Lord, help me not to move in the same old patterns I used to move in because they can bring trouble in your life. 
So the Lord may come and say, okay, now this pattern here, you know, we're going to take care of him. He's not going to say that, but that's what he'll, he'll be trying to do. And we may just start to, to just act or react in the same way we've had been for years and years and years, and that particular thing move us out to another place. Strange. That's why we need the Lord. We need his help because without it, if we're left to ourselves, we're moving out. We're, we're going to be somewhere else. We're not going to be you know, here or, or, or where the Lord wants us. We're, we're not going to be. Now, in the Bible, it talks about, I was just looking at this before I came down, and the word depart, it says, depart from evil. It's, it talks about departing from iniquity. But we're not to depart from God. And I don't mean backslide, you know, depart as far as, you know, leave the Lord completely. We can depart. It can be such a slight departure where things still look okay with the individual, but something else is going on. Remember that. The church was still doing things. They were doing works. Things looked okay, but in the heart of the pastor, there was a departure. And I guarantee that that influence from him caused a departure to some degree with some people. We're influenced more than we know. Did you know that? People influence people. They do. And, and uh, I, I said this years ago. I think I, don't, I might not even have been a Christian. I, I wrote this thing, and it said that there are people, because of their example, it would have been better if they were never born. And later on, I became a Christian, and I thought, what was I writing that for? <laughs> I said, Lord, I don't want to be an example to people, such a bad example that it would have been better for them if they never knew me. Or, or, you know, if I was never born. I'd rather be a, a good example that somehow influence people toward good or toward God. Toward God. So he goes on in this verse. So, so we, are you seeing the pattern here in this? You can file this away, and maybe, you know, in 10 or 15 years from now, you'll be in, in church somewhere or, or here or wherever. You might see something like this happen. Or you might see some... some, some one of these things happening with someone that you're familiar with. And you'll, you'll see it and you'll say, there's a departure there. Okay, and then you'll see that they need to repent. And sometimes there, there are a few who will go through this. They will repent and they will go back to their first works, like, like Gene Anderson. Like, I, don't, I know he wouldn't mind if I mentioned his name. One of the few... There are some, but it's, it's rare. It's rare. They, they don't believe. When, when the word comes, they don't believe it's the word from God. They, 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 they think they're okay where they are. Why do you think the Bible refers to the leaders as overseers? You ever think about that word? Oversee. See, they're over. They're in a higher place. They, they should be. And they see. They're overseers. And they'll see things that, oh, I, I, I you know, 
He's not going to tell me anything. I can see. I read the Bible, same Bible he does. You don't see the same. You don't. I'm sorry, but it's just the way it is. It's not to say that you don't see things. And you may see something the pastor doesn't see. But you're not in the same place the pastor is. Don't think you are. I'm talking about here. I don't know about anywhere else. But anyway, he says here, Repent and do thy first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place. What's candlestick? What's the candlestick? The church. The church. He's going to remove... Now look at the wording of this. He's going to remove his church out of his place. Now that doesn't mean... Uh, first of all, uh, remove means to move from a place. Okay? Not that the church... Uh, would, would be disbanded. Not that the church wouldn't be a church anymore, a church building where people meet, meet. It's not talking about removing that. He's talking about removing the church from its place. What place is that? What place? Okay, it, it's meaning that he is going to remove that church from the position that the Lord had give, given that church. See, I believe that a church, and I'm, talk, I'm not talking about the false churches, I'm not talking about those that don't know the Lord. I'm talking about those who have been birthed from above, the believers that gather. When God brings about a church, and, and that's another thing, if God brings it about, people can, can start churches, you know. People do it all the time. But that doesn't mean, again, that it is the Lord that institutes that. But if the Lord begins a work and he starts a church, that church will have a place, um, a spiritual place, or you can say it this way, that church will be raised up by God for a particular purpose. And that church is to move and function in that particular purpose primarily. So here in this church, one of the main purposes has been, for years, the ministry of the Word of God, to, to try to bring people into a more of a depth in, in God. That, that has been a ministry, but that's not that's one of the main the main areas. But that doesn't mean that the church cannot move and function in other things like working with the poor and you know all these other areas too. But the main focus, the main function for that church, the Lord has a place for them, a purpose for the church, a main purpose. And so that purpose that he has for the church is, we'll, we'll say, a spiritual place that they are to function out from. So when he says here, if you don't repent and do thy first works, he's going to come and remove thy church out of its place there if you don't repent. So that the church then will not function 
in the area that God has ordained that church to function in. They'll may, they might function in this area or that area or who knows what area. Remember, in uh, Matthew, it says, um, have we not done, uh, have we not prophesied, have we not uh, healed the sick, what else is it, performed miracles? And Jesus says, depart from me, you who work lawlessness. He's not talking about the unsaved. He's talking about those who did not function in his will and purpose for that particular group or whoever. They went and they, they did miracles. Okay, that's fine. But the Lord wasn't directing them in that direction. I mean, he may have caused that to happen to benefit somebody else, but that's not the area he wanted to work with with them. All these different things. There was a main purpose he had. And in here he says that they... If they didn't repent, or the pastor in particular, that they would be removed or taken out from that place. So now they won't be able to move in that purpose any longer. And he may raise up someone else, another another church, to, to do that. No, he's going to say he's going to remove his candlestick. But see, he is to be he is to be the one who is to be leading in that. Say. He's the one that's to see the purpose, and he is to be there leading and moving in that so that the church now moves in that. But he left his first love, which probably was, was what the Lord was getting at here. He left that purpose, see, what the Lord was directing him in. He left that. Maybe he was doing other things. It said he, they were laboring and doing works, but... He needed to go back to what was the, the foundational thing the Lord had him doing. In verse 6, we'll move on. But this thou hast. So they had something. He had something. The, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which also I also hate. Now, um, the Nicolaitans, I... I did a little bit of look, looking at this. I may make this very short. It said that there was a sect of the Nicolaitans existing in the late second century, which taught that Christians were free to indulge in any of the lust of the flesh that they might desire. So, if that held true here, when we're uh, seeing it addressed here, if that was the, the the main core of what was going on. You can understand why the Lord hated that, and he he was commending the pastor that he he also hated that. So it's very very I don't know to to see these different things, but yet depart from what the Lord wants can be something that goes on. I personally feel this happens more than we we really think. I really do. But there's just people that are not spiritually perceptive enough to know. There was a, a time here that an individual came and he sat in the church for many years and he had a certain direction in his heart and he kept that thing hidden for many years and then at a certain point 
that thing started to come out. And the, the interesting thing, which I saw this, it's like this was just come out like this ugly thing. <laughs> and, and my mother said, most of you don't know her, she doesn't come to church anymore because she can't make it. But she said, I believe this individual, and this was from the Spirit of God, and I knew it was right. I believe that this individual is taking this church in a direction that Pastor Luffy never would. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Very few people in the church saw it, very few. So you have to sit in church. You have to be perceptive. You have to let the Lord teach you. You have to let the Lord show you things. So these things happen in churches. These things happen with pastors, with leaders, with whomever. And it, it happens, I believe, more than we know, more than we know and realize. So it's, it's good to be able to sense the spirit. It's good to be able to uh, see a leading. Have you ever sat in church for just, just for a minute, we'll get into this. Have you ever sat in church and concentrating on the Lord? If you, I'm going to tell you something. If you sit in church and you get away from all the distractions and you do this for a long period of time, you will start to perceive certain things, I believe, that some people are totally oblivious to. There are times in church where I can sense that the moving of the Spirit, and this doesn't happen recently, but where I knew a song, and I knew who was going to be leading out in it, or who knew what was going on and who should be praying next. Or something like, you know, I would just sense that, that the spirit that this, the spirit was moving back here or over here. I don't know how. It's probably because of being involved in a uh, prayer group early on in my Christian walk where everything was just a small group and you learn things. But, you I mean, this is a small church. You can learn things. But don't be distracted with everything. You know, so the Lord can teach you things. Sit there and desire him and I mean if he doesn't show you that's okay but at least your heart's open that he can't show you don't get all you know tied up with everything okay verse 7 he that hath an ear to hear let him hear what the spirit saith to the churches so not many really hear or else Jesus wouldn't say this um, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life and so on and so forth okay now let's just quickly deal with um, I was going to look at Smyrna too but I think okay let's just we'll just do that real quick verse 8 and unto the, the angel is it okay if I say pastor okay and unto the, the pastor of the church in Smyrna write these things saith the first and the last which was dead and is, is alive so He's talking here about faithfulness, I believe. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now the Lord says this, that the Jews here were of the synagogue of Satan. It's pretty strong words, wouldn't you say? 
Well, he said when he was on the earth, you are of your father the devil, too, if you'll remember. But this is, this is something that um, I, I found out. Now, I'll read this to you. Sometime after this, this church, there was a pastor here at Smyrna in the first century. This was probably the second century. There was a disciple of John's named Polycarp. You ever hear of him? Polycarp. Uh, I believe he was uh, taught in Ephesus. No, maybe it was Smyrna. I'm not sure. But anyway, it was in Smyrna. It says, sometime after this, the original writing in um, Revelation here, Polycarp became the pastor of the church in Smyrna. The Jews in Smyrna wanted him killed, so he was apprehended and brought before the proconsul at Smyrna. Now listen to this. The Christ-rejecting Jews broke the Sabbath in order to bring wood needed to burn him to death, to burn him at the stake. So this was the type of heart of the Jews, that these people that he had to deal with. And it's probably very similar, if not the same, type of spirit that we're seeing here uh, in the writing here. That's why Jesus uses these strong words that they are Jews, which are, are of the synagogue, not the synagogue of God, but the synagogue of Satan. They were going to the synagogue. It was the same synagogue that was there. But Jesus says it was the synagogue of Satan because of where these people were in spirit, because of their evil hearts. Now, this is a church here that there's no rebuke at all to the pastor, none at all. I know your, I'll read this from the Amplified, verse 9. I know your affliction and distress and Pressing trouble and your poverty. Wow, it's a lot of things to endure, huh? Affliction, distress, pressing trouble and poverty. That's a, quite a mixture to have to deal with. See, we don't have to deal with any of that. It's all of them that we're dealing with. But Jesus says, you are rich. Well, how are you just going to say they were poor? How are they rich? See, richness in Christ has nothing to do with your social status, whether you have money or don't have money. A person that has money, God can enrich them. A person that doesn't have money, God can enrich them. So he says you are rich. And how, how you are abused and reviled and slandered by those Jews which say they are Jews but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So they were rich in their relationship with the Lord. See, that's where we are to be. We are to be rich in Christ. Do you want to be rich in Christ? I believe you are. Do you want to hold more of the riches of Christ? I believe you do. You just have that desire. And he'll, he'll be able to work and bring certain things to you. Verse 10. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. No, you mean the devil's going to come and cast them in prison? See how the, the phraseology is used in the Bible, especially in Revelation. He's not talking about the devil himself. He's talking about the devil in a person, somebody who's influenced strongly by the devil. He's gonna, uh, the devil's going to cast some of you into prison, 
that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I wonder if Polycarp read that. and said, Wow, same thing happened to him, basically. And actually, some of them probably weren't martyred. But either way, they were to be faithful to the end of their natural life. That's what that is really meaning. Be faithful unto death, whether that comes now or later. Whether someone puts you to death or you just die of natural causes. You know, we don't need to fear as Christians what's, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, sometimes you look at this stuff and you say, it's fearful. But God can bring us to a peace and a rest inside where you say, whatever. Whatever. So the latter part of the verse, he says, Be thou faithful unto to death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And that would be something special for those who were faithful unto death. Uh, it would actually be the inner quality of life in them would be increased. That's what a crown is. I wanted to go over that real quickly with you. Let's stop there and we'll continue on verse 12 next week.